welcome back. They said they couldn't do it. They were wrong. We're back. It's last men off the bench for the second episode in a row. Caleb Lucas, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing all right. Real excited. Real excited. Very excited. We're breaking a streak today of one episode recorded, and we're going to two in a row. That's big for us. Next time, it might be might be the one that sends us over the edge. I think I think if we can do three in a row, but let's no, not get let's not get too big. <laughs> so, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, it, it's been a good month. A month of breaking tradition for the Bulls, uh, Bulls family. It's been, it has been a good month for the Bulls. You know, we fired our coach a couple weeks ago. Uh, we talked about that. And now we've got, we're finally happy after the lottery. I think this is the first time since 2008 that I can say that I've been, I have been very happy with the lottery results. Yes. Yeah. It's been a, it, a big boost. Uh, do you kind of want to recap? Yeah. So, so Thursday night in the NBA, amongst all those playoff games, the lottery happened. And for people like us who don't have a team, this was probably the biggest biggest day of the night for people who don't have a team in the bubble. Um, so I'll go through all the results real fast. So number one, going up, two slots was the Minnesota Timberwolves. They got lucky enough to jump up two slots and are picking number one this draft. And number two, we've got the Golden State Warriors who fell a slot. And then three and four, they really shot up the board and that caused a lot of ripple effects. Number three was the highest riser in the draft, which was the Charlotte Hornets. They went up five slots. And then number four, the Chicago Bulls. That's no longer seventh, Caleb. Yeah, what is that? Uh, we had it three years in a row? We had three years in a row. Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr., and Kobe White were all picked number seven. Yep, and now we're, we're moving up. We're moving up. Um, so us going up to number four, that pushed down Cleveland. That pushed them down three spots. They were originally in the, uh, they were originally in the top three, I believe. So that's a, that's yeah. a tough fall for them. Uh, and then number six is the Hawks. Number seven is the Pistons. And then number eight, and this just feels crushing to anybody in the fan base, but number eight is the New York Knicks. Speaking of another franchise looking for a sign. Yeah. <laughs> I think they got the wrong sign. And then number nine through 14 there, it's not as crazy as it was up top, but it'll go Washington, Phoenix, San Antonio at number 11, Sacramento at number 12, New Orleans at number 13, and number 14, the Memphis insignia was on the envelope, but that pick will finally convey to the Boston Celtics. So I think you made a a note that uh, that's the last uh, Memphis Grizzlies pick going to Boston. Yes, that will be the last pick that the Grizzlies – Grizzlies owe to the Celtics. So they're finally off the books on that. So that's kind of the lay of the lottery. So it's big news, Bulls at number four. Big news, Bulls at number four, Cavs fall, and Knicks fall. I'd say those are my two, three biggest takeaways there. Oh, yeah. I think Hornets are raising up uh, those five spots. That's uh, Jumping the whole board kind of gives them a lot of options as well. 
Yeah, and um, this is a this is a draft where you where you want as many options as you can. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of which, uh, as uh, this draft class overall, you kind of want to jump into kind of like uh, the the broad strokes of it, or yeah, let's let's take a look at this draft class from the high level. You know, just okay bird's eye view of what we've got going on in this class. So, so do you want to oh, t- yeah. take it away for us, please? So overall, it's uh, closer to the 2013 draft as far as there's not really a clear uh, number one superstar type player similar to like a Carl Anthony Towns, a Ben Simmons, or even Zion and Ja kind of in that tier. But there is a whole lot of talent. Uh, notably, there's some uh, the top three consensus players with uh, Anthony Edwards, a uh, shooting guard out of Georgia, super athlete, super strong build, is, can kind of score from all levels, has shown that he can score from all levels. You got LaMelo Ball, uh, the brother of Lonzo Ball, uh, six foot seven, uh, super, uh, super, super great vision in the passing game and uh, kind of like one of the, I think he's got the highest ceiling in the group as far as playmaking and kind of being that difference maker. And then you got number three, uh, James Wiseman, who is a seven foot one center out of Memphis. Great uh, freak athlete, pretty good coordination, but he uh, kind of had a limited sample size due to uh, some NCAA alleged violations uh, early on into the season. And then after that, it's kind of a, there's a whole bunch of talent, but it could fall all over the place. Uh, there's some good wings some good big men, uh, a lot of versatility, uh, and a lot of question marks. A lot of people are saying that it's not a good draft. Do you, do you think, think it's, that same way? Or I think it's, about it. uh, it's definitely like we've had a lot more time to kind of look at it. If like I, I've had some, a lot of interest in the draft for quite some time. But I think it's not so much a bad draft. It's just a very situational one where it's more about the players landing in the right location with the right setup to kind of uh, unlock their uh, max potential as a player, as a basketball player. Okay. So you, as someone who pays attention to the draft so much, you want, you almost want to prescribe each team a player, right? Uh, Not so much. Like I don't, I I can't even tell where the best fit is. I mean, somewhere with like personnel or something, but it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of, I think there's going to be something similar to that 2013 where it's uh, maybe someone in the top three is whiffing really hard and someone in the late lottery is knocking, the, knocking it out of the ballpark with that pick. But. Just to illustrate, uh, the 2013 draft was the draft that Giannis Antetokounmpo was taken 15th overall. Number one was Anthony Bennett. So that's, that's kind of what you're analogizing this to. Yeah, it's a Giannis. I think it's that's a perfect example. Giannis ended up in the perfect situation to mm-hmm. butt into the MVP that he is now. But uh, as far as that goes, I'm I'm excited for it, the Bulls are kind of in the after looking at that, it's like they're right outside that top three player category. And unless one of those teams falls in love with somebody else, I don't think we're going to get one of those top three guys. it's not super possible, but there is a slight possibility that one of them falls. And I would have to say, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but if one of them falls, 
maybe this is me just wishful thinking, but maybe it's LaMelo that falls because he has a lot of questions about defensive intensity and he is still part of the ball family. That is true. Yeah. You never know if they pull any uh, PR stunts or anything like that. But uh, as far as picking one of those, if one of those guys drop, I definitely think that they should be picked. And from what our uh, AK has said in the front office, I believe they're going best player available, right? Yeah. AK, I think it was after the draft lottery itself, he had like a 15 minute presser and he, he was asked about his draft philosophy. And I think it was something along the lines of, we just want talent. We need that talent acquisition. And that that's kind of interesting because talent does take a lot of different ways. And, you know, that leaves it open to interpretation of does he want to pick here or does he want to maybe take more bites at the apple, yeah. more swings for a home run, you know? Yeah. So do, can you give me any insight on what you think he means by that? I, I think it's like, a, like you said, it's pretty open where he, he wants to collect the talent, but I think there's a couple ways of, that you can go about it with kind of how this lottery fell and everything. Where mm-hmm. uh, just taking the best player available of, hey, if one of those top three guys fall, pick him up or just take the next guy that the Bulls have uh, kind of looked into and I believe is the next guy, you know, on the on the list. But I think there's also some options to kind of trade around and pick up some uh, draft assets in this draft or even future ones where they'd be able to build it up. Like for example, the, uh, the Knicks who fell to number eight, and then they also have the 27th pick in the first round from the Clippers. If there's some package for those, those two picks for the number four or something along those lines where the Bulls would then be able to take a couple more swings. I'm sure it's not at that uh, premier position, but it's kind of in the mix of uh, there. There could be somebody in there, and if they if they've done their homework and they've kind of found the guy in there that they think is dropping, and kind of take a couple more uh, swings at it, I think that could be possible. I, I think another thing would be if one of those teams wants to jump up and some type of uh, trade was to happen. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I don't think there there'd be any. Uh, complaints about kind of upgrading at any position, but is there any player on the Bulls that you would uh, kind of mark as like an untouchable? Un- That's an interesting question because untouchable emotionally, yes. I I want Lowry Marketing to succeed so bad and I want it on the Bulls so badly. And I want Zach Levine to succeed. I, I always remember, you know, I think it was one of the first games he played and I, he addressed the crowd at the end and he said, Chicago, you know, he screamed it out and he was, he really embodied and he wants to be a part of this team and he wants to be a part of this winning team. But as a talent, with a talent perspective, you know, Zach Levine is very, is a very good player. But I think the only person who I'm saying is absolutely untouchable is probably going to be Wendell, maybe. Yeah, even then, I don't think there's, like, say they're trading trading for Embiid. I don't think Wendell Embiid can be the same asset on the team, like, uh, yeah. the team and be productive. But something like that, I, I think it's just an interesting question of, we have the number four pick. That can mean a lot to some teams if they're willing to trade away some players or something like that. And the Bulls definitely have a lot of young assets as well already on the roster. So that's just some, like, a – 
however the Bulls approach it, I think there's plenty of good ways to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty open for them as well, and getting the number four pick kind of unlocked a lot of that. Yeah, I, I really like the suggestions you had with, like, the Knicks pick, the Knicks trading up and giving you those two first-round picks. And you kind of danced around the Philadelphia suggestion. Um, Philadelphia's not doing so great in the playoffs right now, and a lot of people are thinking that there might be some shakeup. And so getting one of their two bigs, mm-hmm. you think that it's probably going to be Embiid that gets traded. I think it's more likely going to be Ben Simmons just because Embiid, Embiid's been there longer and he's kind of the face more than Ben Simmons is. Yeah. But yeah. getting either one of those guys and sending out whoever we need to send out would be a huge plus. Those yeah. guys automatically become the best player on the team. Yes, they become the best player and it gives you uh, a solid cornerstone to build around. Mm-hmm. Someone who's won, in the, at least in the regular season, you know? Yeah. So let's let's keep going with this hypothetical that, you know, the Bulls stay at number four. They're not mm-hmm. trading anything. And also everybody who we've already said is in the top three has been gone, you know. Yeah. yeah the, Some permutation of LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman, they're already picked up. Now we're moving into that second tier of players. And who are you targeting with that pick from a Bulls perspective? For me, I, uh, the top guy for me would be Killian Hayes. He's a six foot four combo guard out of France who played in Germany this past year. Okay. But uh, before I jump into it, do, do you agree or do you got somebody else at, uh, at the top of the, the board there? So I, I, did, I did a lot of looking into Denny Abdija or Abdia. I'll, I'll call him Denny from now on. Yeah. Um, because not because I want him, but more so that that's been a lot of the consensus around the Bulls fan base is Denny seems like the guy for us. And so I wanted to kind of investigate that. I, I don't know. I'm not sold on him. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think there's a couple questions that I have about him. Like he's, so he's a six foot eight, two twenty, kind of a uh, forward, but kind of has a bit of playmaking to his game where he's a smart passer can't really handle it too well, but he's he's able to put it on the floor a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a extremely smart player, but where what do you see his fit or like his role at the next level? So when I was looking at Denny, I found a video of him and Draft Express, I think, Draft Express's guy, Mike Schmitz, going over film. And that gave me a chance to kind of look at not only what he was doing on film, but how he reacted to himself on film. And I see a guy that's hasn't been empowered, really. He always mentioned, like, he's not stable in his shot. You know, he's afraid to go there when he's referring to his left hand. He's afraid to drive left-handed, especially in the big scenarios. And this guy does, doesn't seem like his coaches put in, put in the, the effort needed to improve him but more so the coaches saw him as a way to get to the championship at the level that he's already at. So he never really got any full-time point responsibility or anything like that. So I see a guy who really, who does have a lot of untapped potential possibly, but I don't know what I'm, what I'm seeing right off the bat is a guy who most people are saying is going to be a three or four in the league. I absolutely disagree with that. What do you see him as then? I, 
I, I know, I know I've teased this to you and you might disagree with it, but I, I see him more as playing the role of the initiator and that's most commonly, you know, the point guard. So he's playing point guard, guarding other point guards. I know you have a big issue okay. with him. Guarding guarding is, point guard. So yeah, that's, that'd be my concern right off the bat because he is uh, by NBA standards, a limited athlete to say the least. I, yes. I, so how do you think you work around that? So we've kind of been talking about how he is a good team defender. And I think, or he's an okay team. He's an acceptable team defender. Like as, uh, I think for me, it's kind of like his intelligence as a player. Yeah, his kind intelligence. Where he's, when he's able to sit kind of on the weak side, kind of watching the plays go, watching mm-hmm. the play go and make, beat the other team to the right spot by knowing where they're going to be. He, he's definitely the situation. That's where I think he's the strongest. And my, my issue with him guarding a point guard is that he's going to be at the top of the key. He's going to have to, he's going to be at the point of attack. But for 90, 99% of NBA teams, that's what the point guard's doing. Yes. He's, he definitely reads the game very well, at least at, at a certain level, at his level, he's playing, he played in the Euro league and the Israel league right now. So at his level, you can see him reading the game very well. Um, I, I, I think the way around his defensive concerns, and this might be a cop-out, but he's 6'8". You know, if I, I, you gave there, me a look, still, and I know our viewers can't see the look, but you gave me a look, and it, you're saying, I'm, you're calling me out on this, so call me out on it. I, mean, I don't know how much that size can really make up for. I mean, like a, a lot of these, I know that if you're comparing him to a, a large jumbo initiator, I think of Ben Simmons kind of, where he's the point guard for the 76ers up until they went into the bubble. Mm-hmm. But he, he's a freak athlete. He can guard one through five because he's so laterally quick. He's so explosive of an athlete. He's so sturdy of a frame. That's what yes. allows him to be so versatile. I don't see Denny being able to keep up with a point guard or even a shooting guard. Would you, would it be feasible for him to cross match perhaps, you know, stick them on the low usage wing, have your shooting guard slide up to point guard, have your small forward slide up to shooting guard. Yes, but at that point, why, why not just plug them in at the wherever, whatever position that is. That's, that's true. Like similar, similar to what Denver does like Jokic. You can make the argument he has a lot of point guard skills, but yeah. he's so limited with his athleticism. They stick him on the other guys that are mostly limited centers. Yes. And, but the reason that I want to I want to put him as point guard is because of the offensive end. I know there's two sides of the basketball, but I, I was looking a lot at the offensive end, and Denny to me seems like a guy who can't really create an advantage, but he can capitalize on an advantage. So right off the bat, if you're putting him a point guard, you're you're giving him that advantage of having someone bigger. He he is bigger than him. And he's big. Yes, I agree that he would be. Then he really likes the post. Is the other thing he, he said that he said that in his quotes to Mike Schmidt. I love the post. He wants to be in the post. So I'm thinking, you know, if he just brings up the ball, passes it off to the the person who you're running your offense through and just post up weak side, and then you can kind of run it through him a little bit. Can I play devil's advocate a little bit? Yes, you may. 
How many Please. teams are successful at running a post offense? That's very true. I'm not saying I, that I I can I can understand if he's at the high post and he's able to kind of turn up and fa- turn to face the basket from the mm-hmm. mid-range and kind of have action cutting around him. Mm-hmm. I don't see the benefit of hey, this is what's what's wrong with the other team then cross-matching him. Being like, okay, that, they'll just slide people up and he ends up facing a 6-7 wing. This this is all true and I want the listeners to keep in mind that we're not I'm not we're not saying that these are the guys that we want but more so we're ex- we're exploring all of these sides to come to an accurate conclusion of this is what this player might be coming in and then we can decide from then like do we want this player on the bulls and so we're kind of seeing those inconsistencies in Denny and we're asking questions like how is he going to guard because do you think that he can do you think that he can score on an NBA level three right now? Uh, not with his – not in isolation, I don't believe. But I do not think that – yeah, I think that he'd be able – I think he's a solid off-ball player as far as cutting, uh, relocating, using screens, things like that. He kind of works well with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's him seeing the floor more. Yes, you know? he needs to see the floor and being able to read it. But that, I think – Later on, if he does develop physically a bit more, it will allow him to kind of make up for his athletic athletic deficiency. But uh, enough about his athleticism. Are there other skills? Like, uh, I know we talked about his intelligence and kind of how it translates on both sides. But how is he as a – do you know how he is as a scorer right now, like as far as finishing in the paint or shooting? Yeah, so he he kind of – he kind of gets into this – rhythm where he predetermines the move that he's going to go into the basket is kind of what I'm seeing a little bit. And he, he said that on the Mike Schmidt thing is like, I need to stop thinking what I'm doing more and just do it. There was a, there was a play where a man was closing, closing out on him, but he was late to the closeout. Then he could have easily just went up and shot the three, but he wanted to go in. And when he went in, he went in to the post, he went into the paint and, just threw up a shot. I mean, we, if we want to talk about his athleticism a little bit, he can get to the rim, and he, when he is at the rim, he does have, you know, he does have good dunks sometimes. He can finish with either hand, right or left. He likes to go to the left hand a lot of the time, um, especially on the dunk, which is interesting. I, there was one play where he was driving baseline, and he just went up over a guy and dunked it left-handed. He was on the right baseline, and he just went over and dunked him left-handed. As far as, like, Shooting wise, his shot doesn't look horrendous. Um, I there is one thing that I want to note. Like, I think he might get a lot of offensive foul calls early in his career because a lot of the time his lower base on his shot, he's kicking out both legs, and it's completely incidental. But we've seen that a lot of people can get called for that sort of kick out. So you might want to watch out for that. Yeah, so as far as so the form's not good, but has it been a fit, like a effective so far? I mean, well, I, I think you mentioned it before that I saw a pretty limited sample from his EuroLeague play, where it was a, a very small sample uh, where he, he only shot like, uh, I think it was just over 1-3 a game, but it was a 27% clip. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem is that we don't really have a good sample for him, do we? Because like yeah. even even if he's playing like he played uh, 
he played decent minutes in the Israel basketball league. And even then, like he didn't take all that many shots. It was maybe, it was maybe like three threes a game, which is okay. But he was shooting 35% on, on those. And then the Euro league, he was shooting 27% on those or 28% on those. And yeah, the free throw number, yeah. the free throw numbers are not great right now. He, Oh, between the two leagues, he's 55 to 58% shooting. I think, yeah, I think there's some things like that where I think uh, where he kind of stepped up to the larger stage. I, they're both just so small of a sample size that it's hard to draw a conclusion from there. And like you said, his shot doesn't look horrendous. But maybe it's just more of the mental thing where it's like, oh, is it that once he sees the three-point line, he kind of freezes up a little bit. Little things like that, where you said, mm-hmm. you mentioned that he, he thinks too much when he's on the court. So maybe that's getting to him a little bit, the process shooting as well. Uh, other other skills that he has, you know, he's he's a very good passer. I think, I can't believe we've gone this long and without saying, like, how good of a passer he is. He That goes back to him seeing the floor and knowing basketball. He can't He can distribute the ball very well, especially on the fast break. He's very good at cleaning the glass and pushing that, pushing the ball up, whether it be by himself or with a pass, he's very good at that. And that's one of the things that we had talked about before the show on what skills are the most translatable. And we were talking about how passing sometimes is one of the most translatable skills from the lower levels up to the higher levels, because it's that innate ability to feel the game, you know? Um, As far as ball handling goes, he's not the best ball handler. I, told you that anecdote about him dribbling left-handed which is you know it's, it's his offhand he and every every person has offhand issues at some point I know Killian Hayes has a lot of a lot of his detractors are like he he can only go left-handed because he's a left-handed player doesn't use his right hand very often so with a young person that's almost to be accepted no or yeah. expected yeah. It, it, there's yeah there's definitely like we said with this class, there's definitely some question marks around a lot of players. But yeah, so kind of like it with this player analysis. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Or I, I think I'm good. You know, he's not yeah, the best yeah. ball handler right now, but he says he wants to work on it. Yeah, with that, with kind of that full package, do you kind of have like a bottom line of like what his ceiling or a floor would be in the NBA? I would, I would say team. I think a team would be very happy if he turned out to be something along the lines of Justice Winslow, maybe. Oh, wow. I think of Justice Winslow as a, yeah, I think a that similar vein, yeah, kind of like that playmaking. I was going to go throw it back to like a Paul Pressey, kind of this point forward, kind of right. larger wing back in his time, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. like uh, something like that where he's got these skills that kind of are out of place for his size, but. And those can, those uh, can be very valuable skills. Yeah. 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 They're valuable skills. And especially with the modern NBA of uh, kind of having some interchangeable kind of identities to positions. Yes. I, I think, and we've talked about this before with just finding the right spot. If he finds the right spot, he can turn into not a superstar, but he can definitely be someone that, holds the team together. I think you texted me that he was kind of like Al Horford in the way that he could turn into that glue guy. Rod, yeah, yeah, linking uh, linking piece and all that stuff. Uh, but outside of Denny, uh, I mentioned Killian Hayes. 
Yeah. I think, uh, how do you feel about him? I, I don't know if you've looked into him too much. I haven't. I, I want to be honest here. I haven't looked into Killian all that much. I, I okay. wanted to tune in on looking at Denny just because a lot of people were talking about Denny. But yeah, I know yeah, that you yeah. really like Killian. So I want to. Yeah. So uh, outside of Denny is who the Bulls are kind of reported as looking at. But uh, here's, a, here's a couple other ones. I'll start with Killian Hayes. Uh, he's a six foot four combo guard out of France who played in the uh, Germany League. Over in Europe this past season, he I, I see a lot of similarities in kind of his role in an offense to Levine or White as far of a as far as a scorer with some budding passing skills or playmaking skills, kind of as like a up uh, behind their scoring acumen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things I have uh, really liked is he's shown so a lot of growth on both sides of the ball this past season. He's super young with a exceptional frame, a smooth athlete with a, he looks like probably a plus two or three inches on the wingspan. I know that's what the NBA is looking at where he's, he's got a little bit extra length and he's got a solid frame. He's not a, just skin and bones out there. But a couple of things I've been like, when you kind of look at it a, a little bit concerned is uh, he looks more comfortable shooting off their dribble than in the catch and shoots catch and shoot situations and you can kind of see that reflected in his percentages where he did not shoot very well from three but uh as far as twos go he's very solid at finishing at the rim do you uh, think that's a, sorry for interrupting do you think that's a mechanic issue like is he dipping the ball down into the pocket and bringing it back up or i i think it's more of a mental thing where he feels more comfortable getting in the rhythm with the basketball instead of kind of sit, coming off a screen and kind of stepping into rhythm that way, where you think he's in the habit of kind of dribbling into the rhythm. Okay. Um, But at the end of the day, like kind of to set that ceiling and floor, I think you can play that role of like a Karis Levert plus where you've kind of seen him as this kind of playmaking shot creator, kind of do it all toolsy guy on Mm -hmm. offense and then on defense kind of being able to hold his own. But as his floor, if that shot doesn't translate if there if there's some if something's fall out, I think he's pretty similar to uh, Michael Carter Williams. So uh, very very big gap there. I mean, there. There's a big gap there, but it's a big translation of if he's able to integrate into an offense well, similar right. to mm-hmm. finding the right spot. Like with the Bulls, I, I think he's the best player available after those top three guys. But does he fit with the Bulls? Would be the concern. Okay. Another guy in those tough conversations is Isaac Okoro, a six foot six, uh, kind of shooting guard through some people say even like a power forward type role with how strong he is. He's a really great athlete, super quick, really intense player, uh, great at, uh, has shown a lot of uh, instincts on the defensive end, great off ball player as far as cutting. Uh, He's a he's a pretty good passer, but his handles don't match up with that. Another thing that's uh, been the biggest question mark about him is his shot. He did not shoot very well. His shot looks pretty janky. Uh, might need a I don't. It's not that like a it can't work, but if he can find a way to get it to work, I think he's probably one of the most impactful players in this draft. Well, we have Fred Hoiberg, the shot doctor. Yeah, and maybe bring him back. 
I was actually I, a lot of people are talking about Okro and they're kind of they're kind of comparing him to Jimmy Butler. Oh yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, because Jimmy Butler came to the Bulls and he had uh he was a defensive first athlete. Like mm. I always think of that dunk on Chris that alley to Chris Bosh or the dunk on Chris Bosh. You know which one I'm talking about or I think I do. I think this I do. is first or second year, but something like that. I like that comparison a lot. Uh, I don't know if he has that potential. I think of uh, when I think I think he falls closer to like a Jalen Brown of being the top tiers like second option gotcha. for a playoff team. Okay. And, you, and then falling to like a third option on a contender. Where Jalen Brown, he's able to get his own shot. He's a freak athlete. He just there's there's just some shortcomings where you could you want more. Right. But I think he's a he's a great option there. He's very versatile. You kinda you can plug him in anywhere from the two through the four and kinda figure out where he works from there and whatever works best for him. But uh yeah, similar he's gotta get into the right situation where they can work on that shot and kind of the handles as well and figure it out from there. Do you think that Okoro would be ready to play right off the bat, or would he have the best time taking a step back, like like a Golden State situation perhaps, where he's I, not needed to play right off the bat? I think he's able to be effective off the bat. I just don't know how much of a detriment that shooting is going to be. Where gotcha. if, they, if the other team would be able to just – basically double team off of him at all times when he's outside the paint or something. So that's my gotcha. concern there. Uh, I guess for a team trying to figure out what their future is, like if he was on the Bulls, I think he'd be able to play right away. And then the last guy that I kind of took a look at was uh, Onyeka Okongwu, a six foot nine uh, center out of USC, uh, high school teammates with the Ball brothers. Uh, he has a really solid frame. He's, uh, he's a bit short for a center, but I don't really think he can play the power forward, but his uh, strength and bounciness, I, I think, would make up for that. Uh, I think – may I interrupt you? Oh, yeah, of course. I, I think that uh, – and this, this just kind of has been sitting on my nerves in general, but I don't think 6'9 is undersized for a center anymore. Like, no, I think it's – yeah. Yeah, I think it falls more towards what they're able to do with their size. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a, speaking of which, a really common comparison from Onyeka has been Bam out of, out of Bio, out of Miami. He's been a budding star this year. Uh, but something along those lines where he, he's super flexible on the defensive end. I, I think that these Bam comparisons have kind of overrated his lateral agility abilities, but he is definitely able to kind of switch out for possessions on, on smaller, quicker players. And... Uh, be able to reduce that. I think uh, on defense, uh, I was reading some articles, but the one thing that teams should avoid is putting him into a drop coverage, similar to like a Rudy Gobert, where he kind of sits back in the paint because he is so flexible that he should be out there uh, kind of using his body to put pressure on the offense rather than waiting to receive it. Okay. So he, so you're saying that he should not, you don't have to, if if he was being drafted, you would almost say like a after the pick comes like almost a blitz or what are we talking? Uh, not not even just a blitz, just like a 
So the drop coverage works on there. Really, yeah, yeah, you can have him higher up because he's able to recover with his uh, quick. Like how I think running north south, I think he's a great great athlete. Okay. I, th- I just think that it, uh, as a defender, it'd be a mistake to kind of put him back and let the defense come at him because he had some issues with uh, uh, either uh, people driving or finishing and getting into his chest, and that kind of took away a lot of his size and length. Where uh, it would lead to a lot of fouls at USC. Okay. So what, something to translate that into is like now, right now, as the 76ers are playing the Celtics, we saw in the first two games, Embiid was going drop coverage a lot of the time. Um, and he, he was getting beat off the dribble too. So do you, so they, you want them to do the opposite of that with Onyeka where. I think, I, I think not even just the opposite. I just think anything but the drop coverage where you kind of have them near that screen, either hedging, hedging it, whatever it is, uh, sticking to his man. I just think that he's flexible enough to kind of work around that. But if you put him in drop coverage, I don't think he will be an effective Gotcha. And uh, last note is on offense, very limited. Didn't take a lot of shots outside the paint. But he, he can finish well around the rim. He's got a couple post moves that are reliable, albeit pre- predictable when he's in there. Uh, but, I mean, just the ability to catch lobs and go after those offensive rebounds early on should keep him from being uh, unplayable on that end. And the, pot, the plus is that he uh, – has a pretty good form and shot pretty well from the line. So people are looking at maybe has that potential to kind of put in a uh, in-between game where maybe instead of getting a drop-off in the dunker spot, he can space out to uh, the free throw line or something like that and then work from there. But right now uh, he's in, in the paint score on offense. And like I said, I think his ceiling is kind of a BAM type player. I think he – isn't as good of a playmaker, but uh, something along there. But those are the kind of players that are looking at uh, kind of floating around in the next tier. Uh, there's a few others, but like I said, it's uh, kind of a crapshoot after those uh, top three guys. Right. We, and we would we assume that those players are going to be available. If they're not, then that means, Definitely, that means, that means one, one of the top three, three are, are available. And I think one of those top, any of those top three guys should be a must-have yes. for the Bulls at number four. Out, out of those three, are you still sticking with Killian Hayes as your top one? It, oh, if, uh, Bulls, if Bulls say the best player available at the number four spot, and yes. you're looking at Denny, Killian, Onyeka, and Isaac. I think Okoro. it's a – I like Killian Hayes. I think if we're just going for uh, acquisition of talent, I think Killian Hayes uh, – has the best is the most viable at becoming a primary option on a good team. But I think Isaac Okoro, I own Yekka, all, all those guys kind of fall into that same range of just depends. I don't, I haven't been able to interview them, so I don't know who they are as people or anything like that. Right. So it's kind of like, it's the fit after, like I've only seen what they can do on the court to some mm-hmm. extent, you know? So just things like that. Uh, and I want to, I wanted to kind of say that this is this is almost unprecedented where almost everyone on a coaching staff and everyone everyone in the front office every decision maker all the way down has changed over so this might be hopefully one of the only chances where 
Karnishevis and Eversley can actually take someone this high up with this much talent and process their way through the organization. Speaking of that shakeup, I think that kind of, uh, not only for the Bulls, but for this draft in general due to the COVID kind of stuff, closing down the seasons and canceling, ending uh, the combine being canceled, it kind of makes it a lot of, puts a lot of pressure on the scouting departments of teams to have down, uh, be really locked in for those kind of late first rounders, even uh, second rounders and then undrafted free agents because I don't see a lot of risers and fallers in that area that usually happen around uh, the combine. So if mm-hmm. the teams are, if they have their homework done, I think this is going to be a good year for undrafted free agents or even second round picks to kind of have some unexpected impact. Bulls also have a second round pick. I believe they have the 44th. Yes, the 44th from the Grizzlies trade where they traded Justin Holiday. So, you know, if if you're picking in the 44th, do you have any names at least? <laughs> I know I put you I, I, on the spot uh, there. Oh, yeah. No, no. There's a – it's a bit of a guessing game even at the top at that number four pick. But, uh, in the mid-second, yeah. uh, I guess it's kind of if they go for best player available, there's some uh, freak athletes like a uh, Cassius Stanley out of Duke who's a wing – or they could go for uh, – man, it's just a, there's a whole lot of players. There's some proven players like a uh, Killian Tilly, a big man of Gonzaga, who's a uh, kind of a stretch four, very smart player. Actually has some similarities to uh, Denny. Uh, there's, it's a, kind of a uh, even more of a crapshoot, but it, there's a lot of ways they can go in that second round, as per usual, with either going for proven college players or some – really young guys that are uh, taking a risk coming into the draft. If I had, if I had my say, you know, and I wanted the best storyline, at least I would go with Paul Reed out of DePaul just because, you know, yeah. that's so close by he'd be a hometown favorite. And I think yeah. he, he also, it's not like he didn't produce it to Paul either. DePaul was so much worse with him, not on the court. And I know on off splits are always very noisy. And so I don't want to put too much stock into that. But on Tankathon, you know, he averaged – I'm just looking on, on his player profile right now. He averaged 17 points, 12 rebounds, almost two assists, and then almost three blocks and two steals a game. So yeah, per 36, right? Um, I, I think so. Let me just, yeah. let me just check. It, it's, yeah. His numbers were – he played just around 36 minutes a game uh, during the season. But, yeah, that's kind of something – yeah, he – he yeah, racked yeah, that, that was he filled up the box score every. Yeah, he fills up the box score this past season at the Paul, and I, I think he'd be a good option, kind of as like um seeing what he can do. I mean, second rounders I think are the best spot to kind of take that swing at uh, players that might fill out the rotation. And now so. we have a now we have a front office who values second rounders. We can see that through Karnishevis picking Jokic second round. I mean just it's such a change from what we had before and I, I always I, I hate to dote on this because but it is such a difference we're we're getting spoiled now Caleb yeah it's a I mean this is what every other team feels like I, <laughs> I hope so I hope this is what yeah. having a good fan base is and good teams hopefully yeah yeah I mean it's a bright future but uh is there anything else you'd like to speak on the draft about or I I think we've got it all I think 
you know, we just kind of gave them a nice teaser of who we're kind of looking for. Yeah, so, I think it's a good overview of this draft going I, into it. And... I do want to sum up. I, I think that through this discussion, I wouldn't want to take Denny Fourth. I'd want to go with someone who, who doesn't have such a convoluted path to play to producing well on the court, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, my takeaway is, yeah, I think it's pretty similar. Um, but, hey, I'm mm-hmm. excited. I think the Bulls are going to make the right choice. Only time will tell, but it's looking up for the Chicago Bulls fan base. It's looking up. So we'll see you next week with another installment of Last Men Off the Bench. Thanks for listening.